Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Pod. This is Kevin Smith. Many of you know me best as Friday's Flyover View host, where I take the time to winnow down the news for the discerning mid-American. Whether that means taking a national story and helping to understand a meat and potatoes look at it, or focusing on more localized issues. And here lately, you can't get more local in Missouri than the ongoing crisis that is the Agape Boarding School in Stockton, Missouri, and the continued failure of our leaders, especially our Attorney General Eric Schmidt, in handling the rampant allegations of abuse the children trapped in that school have and likely continue to face. Some leaders want to help, though. Leaders like my guest today, Representative Sarah Unsicker. As you'll discover in our interview, Representative Unsicker has a history of working for the protection of children and has done some of the best work thus far by anyone in power at trying to hold places like this under the same scrutiny a government facility may face. So let's dive in and let's have a chat with Representative Unsicker on Agape and a number of other topics that she finds interesting. Let's have a chat. Well, everyone, I just wanted to take a moment to welcome a guest on the show, uh, Representative Sarah Unsicker. Uh, she represents parts of St. Louis County and St. Louis City. Uh, I believe you're District 91, right? Right now, yes. I'm running in the 83rd District after redistricting, which has changed just a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know there is a big upheaval in some districts. So mm-hmm. thank you for joining us on the show. And I uh, just want to extend a welcome to you from the Heartland Pod. Thank you. Yes, it's good to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, What kind of got you interested in uh, running for politics in Missouri? Uh, You're a Democrat, which can be difficult in certain parts of Missouri and certainly a difficult row to hoe in the legislature. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, yeah, I moved to Missouri in 2000 and went to law school here to Washington University. And most of my career as a lawyer has been about helping families and kids. I practiced family law for a little bit and also did some education law. Um, I was a guardian ad litem in the St. Louis Family Court. Really, it was just about making sure parents and kids had good representation and had their needs met and got due process and got what they should have gotten from the court system. I took a few years off before I ran for office. Um, I ran for the first time in 2016, and that was an interesting race, but I won that race. And so I have served since 2017 in the legislature. I'm on the Children and Families Committee. I'm the ranking member there. I also serve on the Budget Committee and the Subcommittee on Appropriations for Health, Mental Health, and Social Services. And I am the co-chair of the Statewide Council on Sex Trafficking of Children. So it sounds to me like with your background in helping with children and family law, that really kind of the meat of what we wanted to get together and talk about today, agape, is definitely something that would have been immediately on your radar when it first came to your attention. Could you kind of speak to uh, where your beginnings with the agape scandal kind of started? I remember hearing something about it um, in 2000. Um, when Heartland um, was shut down for a few days because of abuse of the kids there. They ended up being reopened. And that's when I learned that these schools don't have to be licensed. When Agape came up in the news again, I started paying attention and they're still not required to be licensed by the state. So Uh, they have really no state oversight. And is that common for uh, organizations like this to be unlicensed in states? Most states have licensing regulations. Missouri has licensing regulations 
For most facilities that house children overnight, there are exceptions, though, and one of them is if they're a religious-affiliated organization, then they are exempt from being licensed by the state. And licensure has a whole bunch of really important things to make sure the kids are taken care of. They have regulations around how the kids are fed and that they need to have regular meals in their kitchens. They have regulations for fire safety and building safety. They have regulations around discipline and around making sure that they are being educated in school and just making sure the kids are properly taken care of by people who care about them. And that's what we really need is we need these kids to be taken care of without abuse and without mistreatment, maltreatment. We need to make sure that if something does go wrong, the state can go in and intervene and have make a difference for these kids to protect these kids. It is wild to me to consider that an organization like this uh, dealing with children can exist without any oversight whatsoever. Right. And that is definitely your goal with the licensing of these organizations in the state. You talk about protecting kids against abuse and some some of the things we've heard coming out of Agape definitely fall under that. And it seems like the bare minimum would be to protect kids against abuse with licensing and oversight. From what we've heard uh, from individuals like Robert Buckland, who I know you've worked with uh, on a number of occasions, th that it's gone far beyond even minor abuses at points. Right. There was news that came out about Circle of Hope a couple of years ago, and we had a hearing in the Children and Families Committee. We passed a bill in 2021, so last year, that gives some oversight to these unlicensed facilities. Let's the state file with the court to interview these children if the facility isn't giving them access to the children, for example. So the state could file with the court a request saying there is an investigation into child abuse and neglect in, the, in this facility, and we would like to interview these children at a private location or at a neutral location. And when we interview them, um, we, we want to make sure that they are not being abused, and we want to make sure we can conduct this in investigation properly. They have not done that. They knew about this abuse. They knew about abuse at Agape for a very long time. Last September in 2021, there were five felony charges filed against employees at Agape for assault. The attorney general had advocated for child abuse charges to be filed against more employees, but they were not filed. Um, there was a dispute between the local prosecutor and the attorney general. And so the low-level felony charges were filed, and those still have not gone forward. Those are still pending in court. The basic procedure of a preliminary hearing hasn't happened yet for most of those cases, and is scheduled for December of this year, which is 14 months after the case was filed. So going back to the state's ability to conduct a child abuse investigation, the new law would allow the state to do that, but we haven't been actively doing that. And I don't know if that's because Agape has been giving the state access to the children within the facility, but I kind of doubt that's the case. Mm. Well, and you brought up the attorney general, uh, Eric Schmidt, and there's been a lot of hay made about his inaction surrounding Agape. 
like it's easy for me, someone who doesn't have a who doesn't really care for the attorney general to begin with. I don't like his politics, uh, things like that, to jump on the bandwagon, so to say. But uh, is there legitimate concern for the inaction that he's taken? So uh, what do we know and not understand about what he could have been doing all this time and what he has failed to do? So the attorney general, I'm just going to give a brief overview for your listeners, because not everybody understands the difference in some of these statewide offices. The attorney general's role is to be the lawyer for the state. Um, They are supposed to make sure the laws are followed. They are supposed to represent government agencies when they're in court. So, for example, the Department of Social Services has its own legal department, but they are not really being involved in the case because the attorney general is the one that's prosecuting this case for the injunction, which means the attorney general, even though this Department of Social Services is a party to this filing for an injunction, they haven't made a whole lot of use of their lawyers. The attorney general office has been doing all the litigation here. As far as whether the attorney general has been aggressively doing what they can Um, Like I said, they could have filed for the right to interview these children, and they knew about abuse and should have been investigating more than a year ago, and they they didn't file anything with the court there. Attorney General didn't file anything against Agape until there was some political pressure on him, and then he filed a lawsuit for an injunction, which is what he's supposed to do. So you mentioned political pressure. Uh, Would you be referring to when the federal government sort of got involved in the case and it began to have a bit of a higher profile? Uh, Is that kind of what you're referring to when you're talking about political pressure? Yeah, that's a lot of it. The federal government filed a indictment against the former dean of Agape boarding school, who now runs a different boarding school. And and what happened was that the child got restraining order against his mom, preventing her from mistreating him, prevented her from trafficking him ag- across state line. So she hired Julio Sandoval, the former dean of Agape Boarding School, who also has a transport company for these kids. And what they did with her permission was they picked up this kid in California, handcuffed him, and drove him for 23 hours to Agape boarding school. And he was there for a week before his father found out where he was and came to pick him up. Wow. Yeah. So there's a federal lawsuit, criminal case against the former dean of Agape boarding school. And it was pretty shortly after this that the attorney general filed for this injunction. So you mentioned how the dean is now working at a different school, and I guess that kind of gets into another question I have. You've mentioned that uh, Agape is like other schools that have no oversight due to their uh, religious status. So how much of an overall problem is represented by just Agape, but also kind of beyond that, like how much, how is this a bigger problem in the state? So there are about 20 or 30 schools that are residential facilities for kids that are exempt from licensure. The bill we passed this last year requires these schools to inform the states that state that they exist. So before that, we didn't even know where these schools were, where they were running, what how many kids they had, you know, that they existed even. So now we at least have that information, but 
there's a list on the Department of Social Services website with about 30 different facilities, and about two-thirds of them are religious-affiliated boarding schools. So getting back to the Agape case itself, do you feel like the attorney general is currently doing everything he can uh, with Agape, or is it kind of window dressing because he really doesn't want this to be the focus of what's going on with the attorney general office. I, I know he has a Senate campaign to run. It's all, it almost feels like he was dragged kicking and screaming into doing something about this. Does it have his full attention now or does it still? So. No? There's a bunch of other lawsuits that he's involved in, and I can talk to you about one of them later. Oh yeah, but definitely. This one, there is lots of abuse that's been alleged. Um, he has known about it for a long time. Children's division were, Workers have been full-time at Agape, which is good, but they have documented lots of allegations of abuse Mm. while they've been there. The current status of the lawsuit is he filed this lawsuit in early September and then dismissed the lawsuit and refiled it because of some procedural issues and because he had some more information. Um, The new lawsuit alleges significant abuse and neglect, which they didn't have information about in the old lawsuit. Nobody in this lawsuit has been talking about the safety of these kids. Other than having two children's division workers there full-time, nobody is making sure that they're going to be safe, they're going to remain safe, that they're taken care of. So Agape actually requested last Friday, I believe, that the parents be made parties to this lawsuit and that the children be appointed the guardian ad litem. And a guardian ad litem is an attorney who represents the best interest of a child. So not necessarily what the child wants, but what's best for the child. So for example, a guardian ad litem could advocate the child eats broccoli with dinner when the child wants ice cream. So there was a phone conference yesterday. Trial was initially scheduled to be Thursday and Friday of this week. Just before I came on, well, on Monday, the attorney general filed a response to Agape's motion saying that a response to Agape's motion saying opposing the appointment of a guardian ad litem and opposing bringing in the parents as parties to this lawsuit. Now, I don't think parents know about this lawsuit even. I heard from one parent on Twitter who said, my child is at Agape and I just found out about this lawsuit. What's going on? I'm going to go get my child. And wow. she picked him up and took him home. I think there's parents who don't know this is going on. There was a telephone conference yesterday after the guardian ad litem opposed, or after the attorney general opposed a guardian ad litem for each of these kids and opposed bring- bringing the parents on. And one thing about bringing the parents on is they would be required to have notice of each proceeding. So anytime somebody, something happened in court, they would know about it and have the ability to speak up. The attorney general, like I said, opposed having the parents be able to speak up for their kids in this lawsuit. Now, why do you think that that he would go that route? Is it just because uh, he fears it gumming up the the works and making the lawsuit drag? Or is it because he is afraid of the like national attention having these parents speak up for their children might have? I think he's making the argument that the trial needs to happen quickly. So he wants to get it done. But well, 
he's making that argument. I don't okay. know if he really does, because I think it would be beneficial for him if this dragged out past the election since he's running for senator. So yesterday they had a phone conference and that information just came out, you know, less than half an hour before I came on the show. The trial that was scheduled for tomorrow and Friday has been canceled. The parties are ordered to present a scheduling conference and a discovery schedule to say, okay, this is our schedule for how we're going to run discovery and how we're going to find out information about this case. The court also ordered that a guardian ad litem be appointed for each child and that each parent be notified and be made party to this. So they want parents to know about this, which is good. I think parents should know what's happening with the school their kids are at, especially when there's a lawsuit and allegations like this. I don't know why he didn't support the attorneys for the kids or for for parents to be involved in this lawsuit. That really concerns me about how he's not advocating for these kids. He's just advocating about the business. Mm. Yeah, it seems strange to me that you wouldn't want to put the children's welfare first and uh, you know, let the parents know what's going on. Right. A lot of people have said that Eric Schmitz should shut Agape down. Uh, does he have that power to do that with a stroke of a pen, just shut Agape down? Uh, how much truth is there behind people saying that he can and should be doing this? There, He cannot shut Agape down with a stroke of a pen. There are due process rights for the school, and that's been established in case law. I believe the children also have due process rights and should be heard, which is why I'm glad the court's going to appoint a guardian ad litem for them. The standard is a preliminary injunction, which can happen ex parte, which means without both parties having a hearing just on the judge's order. And that has not happened. And the court has now consolidated the hearing on the preliminary injunction with the hearing on the merits. That means that they're not even going to have a hearing just to say, you know, let's keep Agape up and running or let's shut it down for now. And the hearing on the merits is the definitive hearing that says whether Agape is going to be permanently shut down. Mm. So there's no quick remedy here. And I don't think Eric Schmidt has fought real hard for that quick remedy to happen. Well, and considering how long it took him to get in the game, it certainly doesn't seem like it's top of the radar for him. Uh, As far as for you working in the legislature, is there anything more? I know uh, right now we're on a like the legislature is not up and running right now in Missouri and we're waiting on an election and then a new legislative season. But what can the legislature do going forward to help alleviate concerns about situations like this? Right. So going forward. I think what has to happen is these schools need to require licensure because licensure would allow the state to go in at any time and observe what's going on. The schools would have to give information regularly to the state about what's happening there. And schools would not be allowed to use the same discipline processes that they're using. Mm. I mean, in Heartland, social services was called because the kids were waiting through a vat of manure. It was really disgusting. And The state wasn't able to shut them down over that. Agape, it's alleged that kids are being held in restraints for hours at a time, being punched and beaten and thrown to the floor. Really 
really serious allegations of abuse that would very quickly have a licensed facility shut down. Now, I know there are allegations of abuse at licensed facilities, but they don't get to the point where Agape is being alleged of abusing kids right now. They they just don't get that bad because the state intervenes. They have a team of investigators that responds to child abuse allegations at those facilities, and they let the investigators in to inspect. So if there's re- reports of abuse, they are quickly addressed, and they're so, not being addressed here. Are you familiar with Lester Roloff at all? Uh, kind a of the history. Bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners, um, Lester Roloff is kind of the model or he, he began the model for places like this and not to go too deep dive on a history lesson, but one of the disciplinary measures that they really leaned on was uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. And that's literally what these places are like. Uh, they are in places where uh, the only thing allowed to be read is the Bible uh, it, the corporal punishment is seen as a corrective measure. I, I think at one point in time in a courtroom, Roloff said, better a pink bottom than a black soul. I mean, that just sounds gross to begin with, but I mean, this is kind of the disciplinary measure that we're talking about here. And like you said, without oversight from the state, I mean, they can run rampant. Yeah. Corporal punishment used to be seen by professionals as acceptable discipline. Research has evolved, especially in the last 20, 30 years. And now corporal punishment is seen as abuse and not corrective. It does not change behavior in a way that is appropriate for kids. Yeah. And obviously, like even even corporal punishment is not a good descriptor of what's going on at these schools. I mean, is it we're talking about black and blue. We're not talking about pink. So another thing that's happened at Agape, the um, National Human Trafficking Hotline sent a notice to the Attorney General's office and to the um, Missouri State Highway Patrol that there was some forced labor going on at Agape. This happened, they were sent this in February of 2021. And what happened is the wife of a worker who was there, he got a job, they gave him housing um, as part of, I think that was part of his compensation was the housing. And then after he started working and they signed a contract and all of that, she was told that she had to volunteer or they would lose their housing. So she was made to do volunteer work in Agape or at Agape, but also in the community. And I believe Agape was paid for the work that she did, but she didn't get any of that money. So she was basically forced to work for Agape without any payment. Another case was a child who had been at Agape. He called while he was, several years later, he was retired military. This was also a call that came in in February 2021, um, where he was forced to do work like, I know, um, I think it was digging a lake and hauling heavy rocks and other hard labor that he had to do. And if he didn't do it, he would be physically and sexually abused. And that was while he was a child? That was while he was a child and a student at Agape. So these allegations were sent by the National Human Trafficking Hotline 
to the state of Missouri, I don't know how much investigation was done into these allegations. Um, I haven't seen any lawsuits about that or anything like that. And the entity that would be filing a lawsuit about that would be, would it be Eric Schmidt? Would it be the attorney general's office? Attorney general. So those are pretty awful allegations. And I don't think that's only happening at Agape. Heartland, I've mentioned before, they were um, sued in 2020 um, and allowed to stay open. They also run recovery centers, and it has been established that at least those recovery centers have um, forced labor as part of the recovery. Um, I would imagine that happens with the kids too, but I I don't know for sure. Um, And like I said, there are about 20 of these facilities throughout Missouri, and I imagine a lot of them probably have some forced labor component to them. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about. I mean, a lot of people have issues with how low prisoners are paid for the forced labor that they do, but at least they're paid. Uh, this sounds like it. Yeah, and they're, and they're not beat if they don't participate. You know, and um, there's civil rights protections for prisoners. Well, and we've we've talked a lot about lawsuits that uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt should be filing, uh, but another lawsuit that you wanted to speak on. I know he has. A history of being an attorney general who files a lot of what I call lawsuits to nowhere. Uh, You wanted to talk specifically about a lawsuit against the federal government and interference with disinformation on social media platforms. Um, And why did you want to speak about that today? Well, he filed an amendment, amended complaint about this this week, and he put this up on Twitter and um, on his website and bragged about how he's suing the FBI and the federal government. The complaint alleges that the government of the United States has conspired to censor social media. He's suing the FBI, the FBI Foreign Influence Task Force, Homeland Security, Centers for Disease Control, and many, many other entities to keep them from flagging lies to social media platforms. And in reality, um, lies that are repeatedly put forward by bots, by news outlets, um, they're put forward to warp Americans' understanding of reality. And that's really a type of warfare that's promoted by certain foreign governments. Whoever controls the narrative controls the electorate, and whoever controls the electorate controls America. So we need our federal agents who understand intelligence to be able to flag these and say, this isn't the case, and we need to not be lying to Americans because those lies are really warfare by foreign governments. So he's filing a lawsuit uh, to stop the FBI, essentially, and other organizations from noticing things like something like a Russian bot would put out that is a flagrant like disinformation. Uh, and he's right. suing to stop that? Yeah, he's suing to stop that. Um, and this is an election year. Our su- Senate candidates shouldn't be pushing to allow Twitter bots to control the conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know we've said many times on the podcast, and I have a sneaky suspicion that you'll agree with this, that an attorney general should never be a Senate candidate. Uh, I, I've made the case, and I know uh, Rachel has made the case a number of times since first place I heard it, and it really kind of like light bulb moment when she said it, is that the office of the attorney general wields way too much power 
to be someone who is running for a candidate position above their office. Uh, it's crazy to me that someone would take a position, abdicate all the duties of that position, and then just basically start running for office and using their seat as a power mechanism to get their name out there. And Schmidt is really using his office as a campaign tool. Oh, absolutely. Um, almost every, it seems like every lawsuit he files has something to do with promoting himself, promoting his candidacy and trying to be a senator. And it's just disgusting. He needs to, we need an attorney general who will do the job of attorney general and not do the job of a Senate candidate. I guess one silver lining, if he does actually win the Senate seat, which I'm not pulling for, we would have to get another attorney general and maybe we'd get one that actually does the work for Missourians. I just feel like every week or so I'm seeing a lawsuit out of his office that I know is going to fail and he knows is going to fail, but he gets that initial splash of news sensation whenever he files it, whether these news organizations are writing an article to say, oh my gosh, look at what this guy is doing or whether they're honestly reporting on it. It's still like it's getting his name out there and people see it. They're like, oh my gosh, Eric Smith's taking on China. And we all know that lawsuit went nowhere. I mean, yeah. Here recently, even in an interview, he actually said that he sees his job as wake up, sue Joe Biden, go to sleep. I mean, he said those words and yeah, he's, he's happy to admit that. I don't know. Yeah, he seems proud of that. And that's it's dangerous. His job is not to sue Joe Biden. His job is to protect the Missouri residents and the people of the state. And he's he doesn't see that as his job. Yeah, it, it starts to make sense why he drug his feet so long on something like Agape. Instead, he'd rather file lawsuits like this nonsense uh, so that he can uh, look like some sort of Republican warrior, I suppose. So just to kind of cleanse the palate a little bit and not talk about Eric Schmidt for a change. <laughs> I know that you had also mentioned something that you wanted to bring up that's really fresh this week. Uh, and when you mentioned it to me, I hadn't even heard of it, but it's this crazy situation out of St. Louis County where hundreds of records, thousands of records, I'm not really sure how many were just burned on a whim. What is it related to um, animal control, right? With the county? Yes. Uh, I'll let so you talk on it. I know less about it than you do. It's related to the county animal shelter. Um, which is under investigation and also being sued by, I think, multiple entities. The county requested the court put a gag order on some of the information that was dis that they disclosed as part of discovery in one of those lawsuits. And the court said no. After that, they suddenly found cockroaches and mice in these files and had to burn 10 tons of files. I mean, literally, wow. the newspaper article said 20,000 pounds, 10 tons. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's amazing that they found these roaches after you know they'd been going through these records to do the discovery and get this information to lawyers and about to anybody who the court ordered that they should see it. And then all of a sudden they found these roaches and had to burn the whole thing. It's, it's really disgusting. Um, and really frightening that they would think that this was okay. Well, and from what I understand, uh, it's pretty common practice in St. Louis County at uh, meetings to 
have to disclose when records need to be destroyed uh, in a situation yeah. like this and to seek, I guess, permission to destroy those records, right? That's right. So at county council meetings, if an agency wants to destroy records, they make that request. So on October 7th, the county animal shelter sent a letter to the council saying, we have found roaches. And as a result, we burned a bunch of documents four days ago, and we're requesting to permission to burn a whole bunch more. So, so they definitely they didn't even get permission or notice before they burned these. Oh, yeah. They were seeking forgiveness rather than permission. Yes. Uh, and they would have known ahead of time that they were required to ask permission before uh, burning all of these. They should have known that. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely uh, an abuse of power to. Uh, destroy these records without going through the proper channels because you can't have this kind of situation just happening every time. I mean, there's always going to be lawsuits filed against entities like this and they have rights to documentation. Yes. Yeah. There are records retention laws and sunshine laws for a reason to give public, give the public access to this information. And when they destroy the information, they're violating the law and they're also keeping the public from accessing information that is sometimes essential to democracy. Absolutely. Well, Representative, uh, thank you very much for joining me here today. Is there anything else you wanted to speak on before I let you go? That's, that's been quite a bit. I, <laughs> well, I, I know that you have an yeah. election coming up. Uh-huh. Um, you feeling good about that? You getting out Pretty there? Pretty good, yeah. I'm getting out there and talking to people and Great. doing work. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank thank you you very much for coming on the podcast. And I I hope you, uh, if you have something you want to speak to and kind of get out there to folks, by all means, come on again. Let us know. Well, thank you so much. The Heartland Pod is a production of Midmap Media, LLC. Follow us on Twitter with at the Heartland Pod. With email, you can reach us, heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com. Online with heartlandpod.com. Subscribe. And please sign up for our Patreon with patreon.com slash heartlandpod. Become a podhead or an official podgressive today and unlock all of our content. See you at the next show.